Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Full Change with Tom Laidlaw. Hello, you're recording. I do it in Spanish. Wow, that's just Spanish accent? Oh, Dios mío. It's a combination of Irish and Scottish. Pumps cabs. <laughs> wow. And here's the funny thing, too. When I do it, like, I actually believe that I'm really doing a Spanish accent. Or they, or the, more, more so with an Irish accent. I lied. But I think it's more Scottish. And that is... Oh, boy. <laughs> but the thing that you believe it is oh, not no. a surprise at all. <laughs> not even a little bit of a surprise. You know, it's funny that we get talking about stuff the way I... I, and I, I guess I just never paid attention to myself before. I just continued to do it. Yeah. Just, so yeah. Flat third. We just aired the 50th show and we talked about, I, I listened to it. I was like, yeah, I guess that's how it really ended. Like Flat third. Yeah. Maybe you change the name of the book to Plowing Through. Because you did work on a farm. Yep. But that's good. Wow. Really? There you go. Plowing Through. Not listening to anyone. Carl, that, that'd be like the subheading. Uh, and I honestly didn't know that I didn't listen to anybody. Like, I really thought that I was a good communicator and everything. And now I realize, people, do you still listen to anybody? Self-awareness is a wonderful oh thing. God, it is funny. When I do try to listen to somebody else, give me advice about how to do something. Sure. I think I don't put my heart into it as much, so it doesn't work out. Because it's, yeah, I guess it's just not. <laughs> not you, you've self-sabotaged. Yeah. you sabotage their advice, so it's not. I, yeah, not I don't think I'm really trying to do it, right. but that's ultimately what happens. Well, that's almost like every, probably every man the world who when they get direction say like i listen to the first two words and then i'll just figure it out yeah. right i saw a woman do a video she's very nice she's a pretty woman she's talking i really love my husband a lot uh but it's kind of annoys me that i always have to give him suggestions of what to do like honey can you give me a hug or we'd want a date back or whatever she she's asking these two men that are a panel and uh so she stops asking a question that the guy pauses for a second he's pretty cool he goes you do understand you married a man <laughs> right he listens to about 25 percent of what you say and he only grasped with a 5% of that 25%. So like, it's just, that's the way it but, but why is it? That's absolutely true. Yeah. Like you just, we just shut off like right, right away. I don't want to be sexist here or misogynistic. That's a big word. Misogynistic that's word. Um, women, it's just women communicate differently than us, right? Sure. They, they yeah. may say something and really mean another thing, right? Or they, like they'll say, if you think something's wrong with your partner, your wife, girlfriend may say, are you okay, honey? She'll go, oh yeah, I'm okay. Well, in the meantime, she's not okay. But as a man, when you hear her say she's okay. You... So, so women are more, uh, creative, more, uh, as men are, men are more straightforward yes. to the point. Yes. Okay. So I try that to like shopping. I'm sure you don't like shopping. No. So I don't either. I like, I want to get out of there. Christine wants to browse, look around yeah. and see things. I'm like, let's get what we eat. Let's go home. Yeah. Cool. Have the list executed. So maybe that's part of it. Who knows? 
But today, this is an exciting day for us because we're launching into some new shows that are hockey adjacent, but not really hockey stories. It's just different, interesting people. We had, we had mentioned we're going to do this, and today's the first one. I know you you have a you have a rabid. I don't want to say fan base, but you have a rabid collection of friends that you talk to on your regular podcasts. Yep. Um, some cool people like Barry Shelley. Yeah, and very fantastic man. He's a veteran. He was military police. Met very great story, really emotional story. Uh, I first got started online, social media stuff. And he had contacted me, I think on Facebook, asking if he could send me something. I think it was something to sign. I said, sure. People do that all the time. Uh, I gave him my address, sent it to him. He sent it. I sent it back to him, uh, signed. And uh, I guess his, I think his wife contacted me at that point. He was really emotional about it. Huh. He, like he was crying. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. He sent me, I still have it, his military pats that he wore on his uniform. Oh, wow. uh, for his whole career. And I think, Barry, you don't have to do this. But it, in his mind, he had to do it. He wanted to do it. And he's been so, what a great friend, great follower. But he's done a lot of things. So our other uh, Mark Puttenbeck that we do a show with, sure, yep. he's got the uh, New Jersey Warriors, Warriors, yep. all veterans. Uh, and Barry set up a thing up in Cooperstown, New York, where he had the team come up and put out a whole bunch of events. And he's done so many other things. We had you know, Bill Brown, Brown, the retired uh, Navy SEAL, was on the other day. And uh, he called out Barry Shelley because he was seeing all the stuff he was doing for Vet, yes. which was real honor for Barry. So yeah, Barry Shelley's fantastic. Guy Matthew. Uh, uh, you have Deb. Deb is on there. Deb's always there on post. We appreciate that. Deb is, uh, uh, Tracy Marie. Uh, she's always starting trouble on our shows. We have our our, our Shelley Salt women. Uh, is that yeah. Lou? Those guys are so great. Cannon and Cannon and Pam Pam Mahi Ahi. Rod Jamison up in Buffalo, New York. Another veteran. Yeah. Hopefully they'll like what we're doing because we're doing different stories now. It's not just hockey. We have a great one on today. Got, so Larry Melnick and I, I think we've got made better buddies. We played together with the yep. Rangers and we were partners. And, but we've got, I think I've been better friends after uh, we communicate with each other, make fun of each other. And he, he's been on a lot of our shows. Yep. Very, very entertaining. Guy. Great episode with us. He did a great one. So I've got this thing. Right so you ever see like a Facebook and Instagram, people will post like, what's the fi- uh, name of the favorite, your favorite movie of all time? So on everything that people ask, I write Larry Melnick. Okay. <laughs> So it's become, so just tagging him and everything. Yes. So and it's it's totally stupid. It's like a bad dad joke, right? It's just he goes on and on forever. So when it doesn't matter, or uh, if they say what's three words, the three words. So I'll separate his name so it goes three words, but it's still right, Larry, Larry Mel, and yeah, because you, you're just a ball buster. And people love it because it's just it's just consistent. It's always it's just not necessarily even that funny, really. It's just that you're just plowing through. <laughs> but, but the point is that Larry's a good sport, and he's yeah, uh, yeah, he, yeah, you know, yeah, he's coming in for a golf tournament, the Ranger Golf Tournament. That's become a topic of conversation too. Oh, you got him in. Oh, nice. Well, yeah. So here's the deal, though. Too, I'm going to give Mark time because last year I got him invited, and then he canceled the plans uh, right for the event. Ooh. So uh, you say you're coming, Larry, but we'll see what really happens here. So now we have a lot of great followers, a lot of fun. Uh, we have a group of people that uh, really. You know, they get engaged. And yep. so when I do the Thursday show at 10 o'clock by myself, it's actually in some ways better because uh, they can get more gaze. I answer sure. your question. A lot of give and take, a lot of back and forth. Hopefully they're listening to this show, leaving us reviews and enjoying, we have, you know, we have guests. But today we're going to go away from hockey. We have Rob Burnett. Executive producer. Executive producer. I think he created the show Ed, which was a good show set in oh. New Jersey too. They filmed it at a bowling alley at North Bay. You know why he's a great guy to have? Like, cause we, our full change when we're talking about, particularly hockey players, they're all athletes. We talk a lot about how did you get success? Sure. What did you do as a kid? Same thing for Rob, really. Uh, he tells a story about him. That he's a very successful man. A lot of real passionate guy, too. He's not the greatest hockey player in the world, but uh, he uh, loves hockey. Yeah, the most great. Is great. And a lot of these stories are going to be just people telling their stories, yeah. which are interesting. We want to hear that because it's, you know, we hear a lot of hockey stories that they're great and we love hockey, obviously. Yeah. But it's also cool to see, to hear other people, how they became successful, like, or not successful, or failed, and, you know, yeah, uh, overcame that failure. See, it's true. Like, the people that, and it doesn't have to be just because you're successful, 
like, you know, making money or whatever, just people in general that have, maybe you're a good parent or you, you hold down a good job. Yeah. How do you get to that point? Um, so yeah, it's interesting with little stories. Yeah. Hopefully people enjoy this one. Uh, this is uh, Rob Burnett. Good morning, Tom. Today we have on a Jersey guy, so I'm hyped up already. We have a television legend and a big hockey fan. We have former executive producer of The Late Show with David Letterman, Rob Burnett. Oh, this is exciting. So this is the first venture outside the sports world. Well, actually, you're inside the sports world because you get the Burnett Hockey League here in uh, Greenwich, Connecticut. <laughs> Rob Burnett, old buddy, good to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. Good to see you, Tom. Yes, it's great to be here. Very exciting for me. You know, I, you know there's moments... And you probably have moments like this in, in your life because I think there's an overlap of show business and sports in a certain way where I'm sure, I'm guessing for you, when you, when you were, you know, a, a kid, you were you were watching, you know, got, certain guys play hockey and then lo and behold, you probably overlap with those guys, right? Yeah. You're clawing with those guys. You're like, this is crazy, right? I know. I'm not, not totally good. I've had that experience in show business where, you know, suddenly I'm, you know, working for David Letterman or, you know, directing Steve Martin in a bit or whatever. But this is a small version of that. Cause I used to watch you play, you know, hockey when I were, you're a little bit older than I am. I think, I think you, I was in high, uh, just maybe college when you were playing, like 80, right? When you joined the Rangers, am yeah, I right? About that? Exactly. 1980. Yeah. Yeah. So I used to watch you. So when I get the email, Tom Laidlaw wants me on his podcast. I just go right back to being an 18 year old kid going, how crazy is this that Tom Laidlaw even knows who I am, let alone wants to speak to me? Uh, you're famous, dude. You're famous up here. The Burnett Hockey League. So he's, uh, uh, Rob's got this league where he plays a rink in his backyard. Uh, the guys all switch around from team to team, right? Don't wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Backyard rink? Uh, uh, I you know, this is great. I guess I'm used to that. Yeah. So he's got a beautiful, I should be careful, beautiful backyard rink. He's got a uh, like stone building there that he used as the uh, cha the uh, changing room or dressing room. Uh, yeah, so he has, so he invited myself and Brandon Shanahan. They have the championship game. It's at night. The lights are on. He's got the food truck, cheerleaders, yeah. filming the whole thing. That was a blast. That was Wait, we got a backyard rink with lights and yeah. food trucks and music. As this man doesn't do it halfway. Wow. Every, every, here, here's how I'll describe it. Every single thing about my hockey league the, the uniforms, the skate girls, the hot dog truck, everything about it is A plus, except for what's actually going on on the ice. That's <laughs> ridiculous. It's just walking, you know, six-year-old guys skating around. But, you know, here's a great, here's a little, let me just go right into this. Brendan Shanahan is the only NHL guy to actually play in a BHL game. I, he played once with us. I made him play goalie. on <laughs> He said to me, I, I saw him a couple months ago at a party, and he said to me, he goes, you're not going to believe this. It was like 10 years ago. He goes, you're not going to believe this. I learned something about hockey at your hockey league. I said, Brendan, that's impossible for you to learn anything in my hockey league. And he said, no, it's the first time I ever played goalie. And what he described was, he goes, I notice when guys are screening me, if they're right next to me, I can see around them. But if they're three feet away, I can't. I can't see around them. <laughs> he tells me, I now tell, uh, you know, Matthews and Marker to stand away from the goalie. I say, if you win the cup on a screen, I'm getting a ring. That's it. That's it. Oh, you get go. your name on that cup. You better get your name on that cup. Yeah, absolutely. So you're a Jersey boy. You're from New Jersey. Where about I am from Jersey. Yes, yes. The best people are from Jersey, Tom. You know that. There's, you know what? Jersey and Canadians, there's, there's a similarity there's a there's a grit there. The, the Jersey guys are just louder. That's all. That's the only. <laughs> uh, good. 
So, uh, so you went to school in New Jersey and everything. Did you go to college there as well, or where'd you go? Uh, no, I went to uh, Tufts up in Boston. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, the quick the quick version of my career, uh, I you know I always wanted to be a, a in show business, a comedy writer guy. I had no connection to show business. My dad was a, a dentist. Um, you know, I had no idea how to go about it. So when I graduated college, I loaded up my car. I drove to Los Angeles and I thought, well, that's where show business is. And uh, sort of floundered around for a while. Wasn't really getting anywhere. Came back. I got a job for a newspaper uh, in New Jersey. Um, you know, and, and, and that's when I sort of realized that I don't want to do that kind of writing. That was not kind of my thing. And then at one point, uh, I, I sent some stuff into the David Letterman show. Um, it was like a year out of college and I sent in some writing materials. They, they said they didn't have any writing spots, but they had these internships. So I applied and I got an internship at the, at the late show. Uh, this was 1985, about a year out of college and amazingly sort of got hired and then worked my way up. And then, uh, you know, eventually became a writer on the show. And then when I was 29, they made me the head writer, which I, I thought was insane, uh, and well, eventually became the executive producer and uh, a partner with Dave in, in our production company, Worldwide Paths. I was there for 29 years in all. Yeah. Wow. But you say lucky, but you obviously have to work pretty hard to do that, though, right? I mean, you've got to get that creative mind, do you? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I was very, it's funny, it's interesting for me. I, you know, in college, high school, college, during academics, I never was overly focused. Uh, I played soccer in college. That was sort of a big deal for me. I, I just never really, um, you know, I did fine. I did, you know, look, I did well enough. Tufts is a great school. I did well enough to get in there, and I and I certainly, you know, didn't fail or anything like that. But I, I never kind of had that last piece there because I think for me, I never understood how that was going to get me to where I wanted to go. You know what I mean? Like if I wanted to be a lawyer, then I think I would have gotten nuts at Tufts because then you got to get into a great law school. But I didn't know how this was going to lead to show business. And the minute I got at the Letterman show, the second I got that internship, it's just that moment where you just thought, well, this is this is exactly where I want to be. Right. And I was kind of surprised in my early days there because I thought, well, everyone's going to want a job here, you know, all the interns. And the interns were kind of screwing off mostly. And I just thought, no, like I, I'm going to be, you know, this, this is the low hanging fruit, right? I'm going to be the first one in, last one to leave. Uh, you know, and, and that's kind of what it had always been for me. Uh, you know, I just was, I, I really wanted it so badly. I'm, I'm sure there's some similarity to, to what it takes to become a professional hockey player, uh, well in the different realm. But, but for me in my twenties, you know, in my twenties, you know, people were going out, they were drinking, they were going to bar. I, I, you know, I did a little of that, but not so much. I, I was very focused. I used to, I used to get up, uh, at like five thirty in the morning, and meet a buddy of mine from college, and we were we wrote a we're writing a movie, and then I'd get to Letterman at you know ten, leave there at you know nine p.m. and get back to Brooklyn on a forty-five minute subway at, at eleven and do it again. You know, and that's that's what my twenties were, and and it's kind of sometimes I think that's what it takes. You know, that's interesting in the, the entertainment world. You know, there's really no path, right? Like nobody's there to tell you, okay, you got to go play in this league, and they play another league. For us, it was kind of easier for us because we go, okay, you play junior, they play college, uh, you know, you get drafted, all these different things happen to you. So that's interesting. Yeah. Wow. So it was just grinding out. It was the, yeah. And, and there's a really, and I, it's funny because a lot, you know, like, I'm of the age now where a lot of my 
friends have kids that want to get into show business. So I'm, I'm, you know, constantly, you know, kind of give, trying to give people advice and, and such. And, and it, it's really interesting because sports, I think, and I, I've said this to them, sports is, is a meritocracy. You know what I mean? Like, I think that, you know, if you could throw a, you know, a hundred mile an hour fastball, you're going to probably find your way to the pros, right? I mean, if that's kind of set up that way, I'm not, I'm sure there's some personalities involved because they, you know, humans are human, but by and large, you know, there, there's a system there, right? It's like, you know, you're playing whatever the sport is, you're here, you're minors, and, you're, and then it kind of comes out. There. Show business seems like that, but it is not that. You know what I mean? Like, because what, what, what you, it's so subjective, first of all. And it's, uh, you know, it's all pockets of, of people and who knows who and where you are at a certain point. And the best way I could say it is that, you know, at our, look, I was an intern on our show. I became the executive producer. Um, was I the best person in the world? You know, was I, you know, Connor McDavid? Probably not. I just knew the people, you know what right. I mean? And, and I became very effective at knowing that particular space and that particular job. And yes, I have some ability w- without a doubt. You're not going to be able to just be there. And, you know, it's not like, you know, working at the Macy's or something. You're right. You know what I mean? So there's a little bit of both, but, but you have to kind of get in the room and, and kind of, you know, get yourself to, to go where you're going, you know? Right. So did you become pretty close friends with David Letterman then? Yeah, we were really close. Um, you know, during the, we, we, we we were yes i mean sort of like war buddies in a way you know we i was i was at the show at a very kind of critical time i i became the head writer in 1992 which was our last year at nbc and then to the extent anyone remembers any of this it was you know a, a very big hubbub when they they gave jay leno the tonight show as sure. giant, and then dave left to go to cbs and we started our own show at cbs and at the time like in retrospect it felt like oh yeah of course we were su- successful but at the time we had no idea. We had no idea if the show was going to work at eleven thirty. It was in a, in a giant theater, not in you know. We used to shoot in Studio Six A, which was like about one hundred and fifty people. Now we're shooting a giant theater with four hundred and sixty people, which is really different. And I was the head writer at the time. It was really the kind of the 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 key position on that show. So, you know, Dave and I were together every day. Um, and 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 the other thing that was rare about that was that normally when you're doing a talk show. Uh, it, it's a very punishing schedule where, you know, you're doing these every single day. You don't, you don't have that much time here. We went off the air in June and we started at CBS in August. So we had the only time ever, uh, like two months and Dave and I were out every day shooting stuff to prepare for CBS. Um, and when we got there, we came out of the gates, you know, pr- pretty well. There was the, those, those, those shows were pretty strong. So but obviously he ad libs a little bit, but basically he, you're writing the script for him that he he follows. You know, uh, I mean, first of all, Dave is an extremely funny person, uh, yeah. and and he's not. There, the things that are written on the show you kind of know are are written, right? They're, they're the, the way the show is divided up. Not to get too much into the weeds, is that the show is in acts, right. and you know there were there were essentially three acts that were writers' acts. Two acts were, or two or three acts, depending on the show, were guest acts, um, and then there would be some music at the end. So you know, we would write up the you only. Know, he's doing jokes with the monologue; those are written jokes. Obviously, when he's doing a top ten list, he's reading jokes. Right. Um, but he's ad libbing all night long. I mean, completely. And even with the guests, you know, the guests do a pre-interview with our segment producer. They might go over stuff, and you know, 
hey, oh, oh, Tom, what'd you do on your vacation? First of all, we have researchers that research stuff about you so they know um, you know, you took a trip and you got stuck in a plane or whatever your thing. And the right. second person might ask that. So going in, Dave will have notes and then they'll, he'll know, you know, ask Tom how his summer was. And Tom will tell you the crazy story about how he got stuck on a plane. But within that, Dave, you know, he may go off that. There are times where you look at that blue sheet with the, the questions and he didn't do one of them. You know I mean, so they kind of, and those are usually the best interviews that right. go off in their own way. So yeah, he's he's very much and was very much in charge of what was said there. Also, I think uh, Rob's kind of downplaying it when when they left. There was like the late night wars. It was a huge deal when you guys game played that. You like we're taking a big risk here. How did you feel? Yeah, it was a big risk. I mean, I wasn't so much in the in the middle of of that decision to be honest, because I was you know I wasn't yet uh, in kind of a um, I was I was. I wasn't an executive producer yet of the show, so I was still the head writer. But yeah, it was definitely a risk. But I think for Dave, you know, we did a year at twelve thirty after Leno at eleven thirty, and I think it just didn't feel good. I think it was just that thing where Dave was ready for the next step, and it probably should have been the Tonight Show, but Jay got it, and um, it ended up being a, a huge blessing because. Dave was in a very rare position there where everybody wanted him. CBS had no late night franchise. They, they were running movies at, you know, ABC had Nightline for a half hour, but didn't have, a, a, you know, an entertainment franchise. And there was huge money at stakes. I mean, these shows, because of the, the, the quantity and the volume, you know, you're on the air five nights a week and they're, they're relatively cheap to produce compared to other show, you know, other scripted shows, uh, because you just shoot them they're sort of like live to tape you know what i mean so you just shoot them at an hour you're you're done um you know these shows are worth you know 150 200 million dollars to the network so there were people bidding like crazy for dave and as a result you know we, were we the only ones and probably the last to ever uh no no one now we owned our show you know we we uh you know now the networks all own these shows um we owned ours so it was a you know, and and we owned the twelve thirty show after ours, uh, which we you know put Craig Kilborn in, and then Craig Ferguson, um, you know, and, and and then of course we produced Everybody Loves Raymond. We you know I did a show called called Ed that was on NBC for four years. So we had a whole production company uh, that was kind of given life by by all of those circumstances. But yes, the short answer is yeah, it was a it was a big risk. It was a big risk, but I think Dave it was a risk that Dave had to take. One hundred and fifty. To two hundred million dollars per show, no, for the year I would say. Oh, Jesus, gotta say, there's a lot of shows out there on five nights. Would, it, yeah, I mean, you just think about it, you know, in in the rough numbers of it. I think our ads at the peak would go for about forty thousand wow. for thirty seconds, and you know, fourteen fifteen minutes of ads, five hundred thousand, you know, a show times five is two and a half million. You start doing the math, and then there's also the 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 owned and operated stations by the network that they, they own some of the affiliates so they're getting local ads as well anyway it's it's a big number um there's a lot there's a lot at stake and uh yeah it was it was definitely a it was definitely a scary time but it was it was a super exciting time it was so fun i want to tell you a story it's a story about a scandal broken relationships gossip rumors money corporate rivalry and a broom a performance enhancing broom my name is john cullen 
I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. But Rob, you're, you're a big hockey guy, obviously. You had, you're responsible probably for all the hockey guests. All those shows. No appearance for Laidlaw? <laughs> I knew where you are going. I knew you were going. That's so charming. Come that, on. That would have been a big hit, big hit, that show, yeah. Oh, I got to ask. It's a real serious question. This is, we have to get the answer to this. Who was it? Was it Jody Foster that flashed him? David Letterman? No, it was um, uh, Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore. That's the... Oh, God. Yeah. Did you guys get any bat- vaccine uh, pictures like the Europe? Here we go. I was, I was on the wrong side of that flash, unfortunately. I, what prompted all that? Like, I can't remember what... I loved watching that show. I can't remember why she did that. Was there some reason? Um, you know, it's Drew. You know, she's she's great. You know, she's, she's the perfect guest. She's fantastic. She's, you know, she comes to play. She's in the right spirit. And, um, you know, she... I, I, I kind of... I think it was something out of, I don't know how that came up exactly, but it, but anyway, she went for it. It was, it was fantastic. It was, it was long, yeah. really you know, good. Rob, another great guest. And I, I worked years ago for Howard Stern and I think Dave kind of launched Howard's career with all those appearances early on. And there were some great appearances. Yeah. Oh, Howard was, uh, was a phenomenal guest. And yeah, I think Dave, I mean, I think it's generous to say that he launched Howard's career, but I think Dave was a very early supporter. Uh, Howard was in the building at NBC and, was doing very interesting stuff and uh and Dave would have him on and I I do think it was an, it was a, it was definitely helpful to Howard but you know I think Howard would have found his way w- with or without us but um yeah Howard was Howard was always a great guest and and one of the few guests by the way that would would really move the needle on ratings like you really found when he was on maybe because he had his own radio show that was massive that he would be talking about but now he and and Howard, there's a handful of guests that um, are of Howard's stature that understand. And I think sometimes it helps if you are a host of your own show, um, although some are not. Like Tom Hanks comes to mind, Steve Martin, Bill Murray, uh, Martin Short. There, there's a, there's sort of a, a handful of these people that understand when they come on our show, they're doing a show. And I was always extremely impressed with Howard that, you know, this guy doesn't, you know, at some point he doesn't need us, you know, he's huge, but he 
really cared about how he performed on our show. He was very prepared. And then sometimes you get these, you know, the super, you know, amazing 25-year-old actor kid, uh, you know, who's everybody's talking about and everyone wants to see it. He sits there and he's got nothing because he, he doesn't get that, you know, yeah, you just made your movie, but this is our movie now. Like now you're on our, on our, this is our thing, you know, so bring something. And Howard uh, always brought something. He, he was just really one of the best guests ever. All right. So one guest, you get to pick one guest that you liked the most, both based on the ratings, how funny they were. Who'd that guest be? Uh, well, um, well, Howard would be up there for sure as we're talking about him. But I, I think for me, maybe it was Steve Martin because Steve would, would uh, he, he, First of all, he's a comedy legend, right? So that's that thing. Whenever I was around that guy, I kind of kept just pinching myself. Oh, yeah. I can't believe I'm I'm around Steve Martin because right. he's of the age where I used to watch him when I was really pretty young. You know what right. I mean? Right. And uh, but what was great about Steve was that he would come uh, sometimes two or three days in advance uh, with an idea, or sometimes we would have an idea and we would prepare and we would shoot stuff. Um, you know, and, and, you know, there were things that I made with Steve that I, you know, my favorite, um, I, I have some footage, some, some B-roll footage of, of me directing David Letterman and Steve Martin. And there's this, this one moment that I just treasure where the two of them were sitting, uh, we, were, we were doing some, some piece with them and I was directing it and they're, but both of them are sitting there and I'm telling them what to do. And I'm completely in the zone and focused, right? It's the same thing for when you were playing against your idols. At some point, you're just playing hockey, right? You're just, we can't admire them for too long because it's hockey, right? And, and, but in a moment, you you can step back and go, holy crap, I just checked whoever that was. And this was my moment where I'm sitting there talking to these guys, completely focused, trying to get what we need. And you see David Letterman, Seymour, and sitting on a bench, looking up, going like this. And I just and someone was shooting it for some reason. Um, it wasn't part of the piece. And I, and that footage is just means so much to me. You just look; it's just that out of body experience that you're That's cool. That's cool. We're yeah. just like, who am I that these two guys? Are I know. Maybe right now, you know. I know. Yeah. Well, that's you like know? when you saw, thought you were getting your autograph from your idol. Man, I'm just going to tell a story where my second game in the league, uh, I shut fuck my own net the first night. Uh, they were playing. Yeah, John Davis was a net up in Boston. I was just. Right, I had a great training camp. You know, I felt great about myself. You know, thinking, "Geez, I'm in the NHL," but I haven't been told to get a place yet. So uh, I go to shoot around the back of the net. I hit JD's leg. JD looks at me to the mass there. It's like, oh, the worst feeling in the world. So the next game, he cheap shots a guy. Well, the next game we go up to Star Toronto. Punch. We go up to Toronto, and this Robert Carr butt into me. And yeah, I saw. No, he didn't. He didn't butt into me. Well, he did. <laughs> he got his way a little bit. So I sucker him, knocked him out cold. And uh, Daryl Sittler, who same thing, I'd watched him play. I grew up around Toronto, and he was a, a legend there in Toronto. Sure. So he's coming over to where he's like kind of avenge his teammate, right? And I, I was thinking to myself, I gotta get his autograph. I gotta get. I, that's how. That's my thought process. I asked. I had to shake my head like, "Whoa, come on, let's go get with it here." You know, we can get the scrap going on. But it was. And it's funny to have that. Yeah, I can imagine how you're feeling with those two guys. Yeah. So I mean, obviously Steve Martin, uh, Howard Stern. Who would be the one guest that maybe they weren't the funniest, but they just like it was, it was unbelievable that you were in the presence, like it's a president of the United States or anybody at all. Well. Yeah, I would say Obama for sure. You know, uh, yeah, when you're when you're when you're shaking a president's hand, especially Obama, you know, he just had such a kind of a 
he just seemed like a rock star as a president. You know what I mean? For politics aside, just as a guy, the way he presented, you know what I mean? He 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 was really impressive. Um, so yeah, I think he was definitely up there. Um, I mean, we yeah we you know you, everyone kind of runs through there. You know what I mean? So um, you know there definitely have been some moments. Well, you know, Julia Roberts was always a you know a great uh, sure one one of my favorite Julia Roberts moments. You know, I kind of got to know her a little bit over the years. She was always a phenomenal guest and so great and. Uh, I remember, I think it might, it might have been her last appearance. I remember I go, I used to would go to say hi to the guest before the show. I went up to the dressing room and um, she was excited to see me. She's like, oh, you know, oh, hey, hi. And she she was like in the middle, she had a towel like wrapped her. She was like, you know, she's getting makeup, but she, had, she hadn't put her dress on yet. So she had a towel on. So she stood up at, to give me a hug and she's like, oh, let me, I, I better make sure this, I, she goes, I, I don't want this to fall off. And I just, <laughs> I just said that makes one of us. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but she she was a sweetheart. Um, you know, there was a Tom Hanks also was an amazingly nice right. person. Uh, George Clooney was a George Clooney is I think one of the nicest celebrities I, I've ever met. And, wow. and it's funny when I was um, uh, taking my daughter, my oldest daughter Sydney, on uh, a college. We were looking at colleges. We get on a train to go from New York. Uh, from Connecticut down to Washington, we're on the Acela Express, and I'm sitting there, and I look up, and here's George Clooney's walking by because I think he went down to get himself arrested at one point uh, years ago at the right. embassy or something, and he's on this train, and I look up, hey George, and we knew each other a bit, and he's like, hey Rob, how, how you doing? And this guy, uh, he's, what are you doing? I go, I'm, 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 you know, my daughter's got to look at schools. Th- this guy, George Clooney, stood in the aisle, stood. And talk to my daughter for 20 minutes. Ah, that's cool. I like hearing that stuff. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, amazing, you know, to the point where I told her when we went to visit the college, I'm like, you understand, you're never going to see George Clooney again. Don't let that influence your decision. That's right. never going to happen. Yeah. yeah. It's a once in a lifetime. But that that's um, that's George. You know, he's, uh, and, and my, my experience has been, and it's not, it's not 100% across the board, but I think the longer it takes someone to become famous, the better it is for them. George bounced around for a long time. He was like in his 30s before he got ER and started up George Clooney. And then he's trying to frown. Minor league baseball player too, right? Yeah. And yeah. And he, you know, and he did a bunch of pilots and he was, and I've actually met George before, right as ER was starting. I I was doing a show in LA and he was at a party and he was a friend of a friend and he was super nice. But I think that, you know, the longer it takes you, where some of these kids, you know, 20 pop, it's like, it's too much for them. Um, and George Clooney also, I think had the benefit and he has said this in interviews, you know, his aunt was Rosemary Clooney, who was a gigantic star before my time, but he, I think got to see kind of this and this. And I think he just has a perspective on that where he's just like, yeah, this is all temporary. It's, uh, it's all, you know, just put it, put it all in perspective. It's all great, but you know, people, does anyone know who Clark Gable is anymore? I don't, yeah. There you go. I don't. Care. John Wayne. John Wayne. John no Wayne, boy. biggest human alive. And now, and you know, we're all, we're all versions of that. So keep yeah. your head on your shoulders. Yeah, totally. Rob, you, you mentioned who you liked, which guest aside from Tom Laidlaw that you tried to get and just wouldn't come on the show. Like who was that? There? Who was the, the white whale for you guys that you couldn't get? Um, 
Oh God. Uh, I don't think anybody, right? Wasn't Dave that popular that you guys are? Oh, a lot. There, there were definitely a few like Tiger Woods, for example, wouldn't come on the show. Oh, well, no, why? Um, I know he was one there, there were definitely pockets of some people kind of aligned themselves with the tonight show a little bit, you know, with Leno, uh, some would do both and some, you know, a lot aligned with us and wouldn't do Che, you know, cause they just really love Dave. Um, but to Tiger comes to mind as someone that we really wanted and he just would never, you had Wayne, you had Wayne Gretzky on the show, didn't you? Yes, we had Wayne, cool. uh, for sure. In fact, here's a, here's a, here's a really small tidbit for late, late show nerds will love this, but get it. Get it. late. It's late. It makes perfect sense. When I tell you this, when we first went to CBS, we did, uh, a, what we call a shakedown show, literally just to test the equipment, right? No no audience, just, you know, we're just going to kind of run through things and just sort of see if everything works, you know? Yeah. And so I played a guest on that show uh, and they said, well, who do you want to be? And I said, Wayne Gretzky. It was Tom Laidlaw? <laughs> well, I didn't want to get into legal trouble. I figured you, you were <laughs> the great one would let it fly. And so, yeah, so I was Wayne Gretzky. On the show. That's good. No. Yeah. Uh, hey, what, you know, speaking of the late show nerds, what was the deal with the Crispin Glover interview? Was that real? Did he kind of snap or was that? I think he was just trying to be funny. You know, that he, he lost his mind. He was like, you know, kicking, kicking at Dave. And I think Dave was legitimately scared that the kid was going to kick him. Um, the other one along those lines that was pretty crazy was, uh, did you see the Farrah Fawcett show when she was on? Uh, she, she came on here. Here's one of those. Here's one of those things we're talking about of kind of running into, you know, your, your angles and a little stronger for Farrah, but you know, if Farrah Fawcett was, uh, if you do them, I was, I was 14 probably when that Farrah Fawcett poster came out, right. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the big one for the pinup poster that became super popular. So you can kind of do the math on that. A 14 year old boy, mm -hmm. that poster, that's all you need to say. So Farrah Fawcett comes on the show and she is out of her mind. She's just, First of all, she's late. She shows up to the point where I am trying to reformat the show as we're going because I don't know if she's going to show up, but she does show up and she's just like this and she's looking around. Whatever. And this became a huge press event. So I'm being interviewed afterwards and I'm taking Farrah's side because that just feels like the right thing to do. And I said, listen, then I said, was she on drugs? I said, no, I think she was just trying to be funny. I didn't really see her before the show, whatever, whatever, whatever. So that's what happens. The next night I'm in my office at midnight, the, sh the phone rings and it's Farah, and I'm just like, okay, hello. And I think she's calling me to thank me for sticking up for her in the press. I'm like, oh, this is really nice. She's going to say like, well, I really appreciate that. Well, she gets on the phone with me and begins talking to me for an hour and it was less coherent than anything that happened on the actual show. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and the only thing I remember from this conversation was her telling me that She's going to Al Pacino's castle. I don't know. I don't know what that is. This was the reverse of what we're talking about. Because if you ever told me that at 14, I'd be in my office alone on the phone with Farrah Fawcett. Yeah. I don't, all I want to do is get home to my wife. So when some of those moments happen and you're backstage, are you just cringing? Like you think, how are we going to get out of this? Like somebody's just well, totally out of control. And you love that. Yeah. yeah? It's interesting. Exactly. All right. It kind of. It, it's 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 a really interesting thing when you're in that you're you're, you're in this our reality is the theater you know and and sometimes it, it's easy to kind of forget 
that the thing's going out to millions of people because you're just focused on that space. And then every once in a while, you realize you can't, you're not sure, you know, and, and as it's happening, I remember Madonna was a big one also. She came out and she was cursing. Oh, that's right. Didn't they argue all the time too? Dave, yeah. Madonna, actually, oh yeah. He just kept using the F word and the F word and the F word. And, and Dave weirdly is, you know, he's from Indiana and he's, and he's, he's kind of old fashioned a little bit in that way. You know what I mean? Like he, he wasn't happy about her cursing nonstop because he just feels like I'm broadcasting a show and this is going out on CBS and you know, it's the Tiffany network and then people shouldn't be using the F word. And, and I, I remember going up to her dressing room after the show, she was surrounded by her people. She, this is all had just happened. And no, you don't know at that point what that's going to become. In my mind, I just thought, this is going to become, and it was gigantic. It exploded. It was in every newspaper across the country. And so to your point, it, it you know, at some point that there's a fine line between cringing or something great is happening here right. for us. The, the cringy part really is usually if, if a guest just is not responding, you're yeah. in a guest isn't playing ball, just giving you yes or no answers. And you just see Dave, Dave, digging and digging digging that, that's when you start to you know get the flop sweat a little bit and you yeah. just and you end up just you know shortening the time and kind of moving on but you know that that's the weird thing about talk shows is that you know you you put your heart and soul into, into them and then you, you turn them over to somebody else for right. you know, that time we had a moment uh, we were doing a live podcast it was myself Rob Greshner, Dave Maloney uh Rob Duguay might have been on as well we had Phil yeah. Zito on as a guest that's always the greatest. It, 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 here's the funny thing: I turned on the radio. This was this was several years ago, and I was not aware that Espo was doing color for Tampa. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and uh, I turn on the radio, and I'm listening to the Tampa broadcast, and I'm hearing this guy, and I don't I don't recognize Phil's voice, but I, I'm 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 hearing this guy, and I'm just like, I've never heard color commentary like this. This feels like it's a guy sitting in his living room drinking beer watching the game and he's just saying stuff like you know oh this that's ridiculous this guy this guy's not speeding up the ice this guy oh this guy should be this guy shouldn't be in the nhl i'm just like this is and i could not turn it all this this is ugly yeah. and then i find out it's it's as well i'm like oh of course it makes oh, all sense. he's phenomenal I mean, oh he's that older yeah he's that older gentleman now doesn't care at all he's just gonna say whatever he wants to say yeah, yeah. great great yeah great definitely so you're a big ranger fan Gigantic Ranger fan, season ticket holder. I just gave up my season tickets a couple of years ago. Just oh no, wasn't, I wasn't going a, enough. And 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 my son is in college. We used to go all the time. Um, but I, I still I still get there. But yes, I grew up as a Ranger fan. Uh, my I, for some reason I never played ice hockey growing up. It's a huge regret. We played street hockey, and if you see the BHL, you'll understand. Oh yeah, that guy never played. I literally never played hockey until I got my own rink. I had to get my own rink to let people play with man that's the only way i can get into one um but i was out there you know age 40 learning how to do a hockey stop in my backyard people like you built a rink and you know how to skate i'm like yeah well now i've been playing you know four nights a week four days a week for 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 18 years and i'm i'm now i've gone from embarrassing to terrible it's a huge but a huge Uh, rob you're still at you're still you're still playing we still play you should you know our final now uh, I think it was like that when you came, Tom, but it's grown to the point now where we get 300 people. Yes. We have to go. We have to go. We'll do a show. Yeah, we'll, we'll come. We'll do a show from there. Yeah, absolutely. 
But yeah, we had my for some reason my dad had season tickets to the Rangers, and we used to go. And when you're eight years old and you go into the garden, and it's you know it, it's like nothing else, you know, the Rangers and the Bruins and that place, and your whole body is vibrating. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, here, here's here's a little uh, thing that was that was so so amazing. Um, I we had good tickets. We were down it, it, back then. They were color, so it was down in the reds, which was like the yep. load. And we sat right. The Rangers back then used to come in at this on center ice, and we, I, we were right by the railing. And the after the pregame skate, the players, you know, they they flip some pucks up, you know. And I always wanted to go down there to try to get get a puck. But my dad wouldn't let me because it was a lot of jostling and I was only eight. And I had the big Ranger jersey down to like my shins, you know, and I'm standing there and I just hang over the railing and watch the guys go through. And Walt Kachuk, number 18, Walt Kachuk, one day turns and hands me his stick, right? Hands me a stick and I'm holding this thing and I'm like, and no one even sees like my dad. No one's looking. I'm like, and I can't, I literally cannot speak as I'm holding all the kids. That's cool. All, and, and my dad is there and uh, he goes, how'd you get that? I was like, he, he gave, he gave it to me. He gave it. I had this stick. Literally. I kept this stick everywhere in every place. I went uh, all the time. When I moved from New York city to Connecticut, the only thing I did not let movers touch. He's that right. That's what with me. I had it in my office. I was doing a TV show called Ed out in Northvale, New Jersey. I had it hung up in my office so I could just see it during the moments of, you know, when I had to write a 60 page script. I'm like, all right, what would Walt do? I'm looking at Walt's stick. And, and as we, at the last uh, week of, of shows uh, well, that we did there, someone stole Walt oh, and showed no. It was absolutely heartbroken. And my assistants were so sweet. They knew that I was, I was really upset by this, you know? And, uh, they, they tracked down Walt in like Manitoba and yeah. Walt sent me another stick. So oh, man, that's cool. That's a great story. That's fantastic. It's not yeah. quite the same as the original, but still, I still, you know, but anyway, so yes, short answer. That's the best way I can convey to you. A giant Ranger fan. Oh, yeah. uh, I was at every single game in 94, including game six, which was in Vancouver. I was in the garden when you could pay five bucks and watch from the Jumbotron. I was oh. at that one. Um, and then, you know, what was uh, another crazy thing for me was then, then we had the guys, you know, on, on the show. We had uh, um, yeah. Messier, Leach, and Richter. Um, and now, and now I, of course, I, I know Richter and Messier now to the, the Greenwich guys. I, I know them a little bit, but they were on the show. Um, and then, so for me to, I, I, I had the cup in my hands, just, you know, anyway, just of, of all the things people always, you know, what do, what do you love best about the, you know, show business? I'm like, I got to hold the Stanley Cup. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny. You held it more than Tom though, actually. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, you know, the rule is if you're playing and you don't win it, you can't touch it. And so finally, after I got in the agent business, I had a client, Warren Reichel, play for Colorado when they won it. So I had to wait till like 3.30 in the morning. They're all hammered. They got in the locker room, got my picture taken. But that's, that's the first time I ever touched it too, yeah. It's, it's funny. We, we wrote a bit for Mike. Mike Myers is a big hockey fan. Yep, Mike, yep. Yeah, huge Maple Leafs fan. And we wrote a bit for him. We had the cup on the premises for some – it may have been when the Devils won. We also had them. We had the cup then. Anyway – we wrote a bit with him with the cup, and he wouldn't touch the cup. Oh, he was yeah. like, yeah. "I can't touch the cup because like yeah. people in Toronto will go crazy and yeah, whatever." Yeah, that's true. 
You know what, funny things, I don't know how it is for you at your home rink there. What, uh, a lot of times when you're playing with a celebrity, a guy that owns the rink or whatever, the rest of the people all stay away from him. Like, they'll let him take a break away and go in. They're like when Putin plays. You know, yeah. guys don't do that with you? Yeah. No. No. It looks, it, it, no, because it may look like that because I'm moving so slowly. Yeah. It's like, no, where is, uh, you know, our, our league is funny. It gets, it yet, there's no checking in our league. There's no right. checking and there's no slap shots, but there's plenty of contact and, yeah. As it gets toward the end, we you know we have this very sort of complex playoff structure that I won't bore you with. But as it gets toward the end of February, everyone's playing for something, yeah. and it gets pretty intense. That and then cool. what's funny for us is that in our final, you take the ice, and you know I've never played sports. Even when I was playing college soccer, I was playing D three college soccer. There was never I never played a sport in front of three hundred people. You know that's that that you played in front of thousands of people. But for us. To get on, you know, to be skating around and there's 300 people cheering, like you feel it, you feel the nerve, you feel the legs, you sure. go crazy. You and and you, you video the whole thing too, and you put music to it. It's pretty. It was pretty good. We have to go. Yeah, we have to go up there this next this winter. Definitely. Yeah. Please, definitely. We always it's the first weekend in March. I'll I'll send you an email. You definitely. Yeah. Well, the reason I bring up about people getting out of the way, uh, uh, Bill Burr had done a Garden of Dreams, a Garden of Laughs. Uh, donated his time, but made some money. So they gave him a couple hours ice time at, in the middle of the week at the Madison Square Garden. They had a couple of, like myself and Brian Mullen come in to ski with him. And everybody's just getting out of his way. You know, this is Bill Burr. You know, he's really this hot guy now and everything. But he had a great sense of humor. He was a, a big fan of Jay Miller. I played with Miller in L.A. Yeah. So he's giving me a hard time all the time. So I said, all right, that's it. I'm going to drop. So I, I knocked him right on his ass. <laughs> and, and the building went quiet. They told me, what are you doing? He loved it. He thought it was fantastic. We're best buddies. We're, well, not best buddies. We're friends now because I knocked him on his ass. That is awesome. Well, an- another big moment I had was we at one point did something where we had a few of the Rangers shooting pucks at a camera. We were kind of doing these things where we had pitchers throw baseballs at the camera and try to break the camera. And then we had, uh, I know uh, Brian Leach was there. can't remember who, maybe Messier, but it was def- definitely Leach, I remember being there. And anyway, uh, and I wasn't head writer yet. I was just a writer on the show. Um but they let me go down to the garden. We, you know, we were there in the afternoon and I'm on skates on, by myself at Madison Square Garden. And I cannot even tell you that. Yeah. I mean, the thrill of that is just, you know, it's crazy. It's just crazy. Yeah. We as a, uh, when you were a player, like, you know that the Ranger fans are diehard fans. But when you get out of the game now with the stuff I'm doing and go out public, you, you really get a feel for how much it means. Like your Walt Kachuk story was, you know, there was thousands of those stories with fans. Yeah. Yes. Oh, there's a Tom Laidlaw story out there somewhere. We have to find that one. Actually, there is a story. It was actually kind of a sad story. Uh, we had us out uh, taking gifts out to families who had lost children. Did you get in the show on a downer? Uh, so <laughs> he, uh, the, it was actually, the family was kind of excited because I did, I, really, I guess I worked at camp and this one girl, uh, I guess I was super nice to her or whatever. So my picture was up on her wall and, and they lost uh, her and I can't remember some disease or whatever. But they were very excited. It just worked out. It was just happenstance that I was there. And uh, it was actually, they were very, they were very happy about it. They lost their daughter a while before. So, uh, but yes. No, but you have to be, I mean, I, I I would think that you, just your style of play. As a Ranger fan, your style of play, we just would take as many of you as possible. Yeah, you know, I didn't know that when I was playing, but I, I hear that now more and more. Yeah, like showing up every day. This is all you want. You just want, just give me a few more hard-nosed Canadians yeah. that can get it done. And you watch them this year and you're like, you know, yeah, we, we, we're starting to build some pieces. We got the goalie, right? We, we got some real skilled players, 
But what we don't have is we don't got enough of you. We, we need one or two or three hard-nosed Canadians that know how to get done. Yeah. It'd be, yeah, it'd be nasty and ugly. And like, even if you can't carry the puck, whatever, just go play hard. Yeah, that's why at these charity events, Tom is just crushing people all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, need, we need guys that are, if I were GM of the Ranger, I go, would you put Bill Burr on his ass in a charity game? If not, we don't, we have no room for you. We don't. <laughs> exactly. Well, listen, uh, I know we haven't seen each other very much, but I totally admire you, uh, not just because of your success, but how you got your success. You tell that story about how you just showed up and worked hard all the time. You can play, you could come play for the Rangers for that mentality. So good to see you again, brother. All right. Thanks. So, thank, thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks for coming on, Rob. Bye, Rob. Okay, guys. Bye-bye. So Tom, executive producer of David Letterman's show, is a huge... Look at the story he told about how the Rangers influenced his life. I mean, that's the impact you guys have on these people. I don't know if you realize that. Well, you know, we're sitting on the show, I'm starting to realize... I do recognize it now, but when you're playing, I don't think you fully understand. You know that you have a big impact on all fans, uh, you know, whatever team you're cheering for. Uh, but later on that, we go out and do a lot of stuff in the community now. I meet a lot of fans. The stories they tell us, like what Rob told us yeah. uh, with Will Kachuk and everything, it just... Uh, yeah, you don't fully understand what it means. Like, he... Did you, you're just young and cocky at the time. You don't have that kind of perspective, do you, until after? No, no. Again, you know that there, you know, people, you know, excited to see you all the time, get autographs, so you know there's that level. But, like, well, you know, the stuff that, uh, the stuff you hear now, and pretty touching stuff, like how long sure. they've been season ticket holders, yeah. you know, memories of their father and mother coming to games and all that. So, the and, and it gets the same in every city, but the Ranger fans are dying. They're dying. Have you, you ever turned down autographs? Ever no, I never have. No. Good. No, I never... And I know I've never, I, I guess I've gone to shows where you get paid to do them, but I've never really yeah. done Even stuff like, you know, and, and no disrespect to other guys that do it, but they have these things called cameo, you know, where you do yeah. videos. For me, it's like, I found that like, even selfish for me, I, I spread more goodwill or more people sure. going, well, they lost a great guy. Cause the, I, particularly with the military personnel and police, they're calling their kids are having birthdays or whatever. So you do a 15 second video. Yeah. Make someone's day. It's really cool. Yeah, I've actually started now. Like when I go to an event, somebody said, "Well, my dad used to watch you play all the time." So I said, "Let's do a video." Yeah, see, you grab you grab phones and you're like, "Hey, hey, uh, Uncle Jack, it's Tom Laidlaw here from the Rangers." I, I really did it at the Pride Parade the other day. I guess the one woman that was there, the principal of a school, I was a big fan. So I said, "Hey, give me a phone." So we did that, and she said it was unbelievable. Like no, you did the whole school, school. like, "Oh, no, that's awesome." Yeah, that's cool. and that was a great interview with Robin. Hopefully, fans will like this new format where we talk to people who aren't necessarily hockey players but yeah. have are hockey adjacent, have hockey connections. Yeah, successful people too. We'll be just all successful people, but sure. Rob K- Rob's uh, Casey certainly. People, great. yeah, great storage. Yeah, great. Story. Thanks for listening. All right, grasshoppers, thank you for listening. We had a fantastic show. We'll see you next time.